0: Stand to your feet today. We're just going to start by reading this uh, passage, this brief passage, uh, together for one last time. And uh, this is our uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. We're going to read it in the Amplified, and if we could put it up on the screen, and let's read it together uh, out loud. Now, when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, blessed happy fortunate and to be envied are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and i tell you you are peter greek petros a large piece of rock and on this rock greek petra a large rock like gibraltar i will build my church and the gates of hades the powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it, be strong to its detriment, or hold out against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you but loose, declare lawful on earth, must be what is also declared loosed uh, in heaven. You may be seated in Jesus' name. We're finishing our series today. And I hope hope you've enjoyed the journey. And hopefully you've learned some things along the way. We are the church. And we are unstoppable. So is your series, Pastor. (laughs) That was unnecessary. But I'm just reading my wife's thoughts there. Uh, Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, against his blood-bought church. He literally said that, that hell would not, uh, as this version here says, that hell would not overcome or hold out against it. Amen? And so I think it's important for us to understand that we're called to take ground for the kingdom. Because it says, The powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. I mean, because too many times, we, we're, the church is taking the attitude that we're trying to hold out against the darkness, and I believe heaven's perspective is very, very different. Darkness is trying to hold out against us, and if we ever really discover who we are, we're going to see darkness fleeing very quickly, because ultimately, you know, people who have uh, whether it's wealth or political power or uh, you know any of these other means, uh, they do not have power compared to the Church because uh, you know there is nobody more powerful than God. And so you know, as it says here, it says uh, the power. Uh, it says the powers of the infernal region—that's hell—shall not overpower it, or be strong to its detriment, or hold out against it. You see, we are not. On the defensive, rather, we are called to take ground for the kingdom. The greater one lives in you, in Jesus' name. You see, we are a victorious church, and we are not in retreat. And let me say this, we're not going out with a whimper. We're going out with a shout. Amen? Jesus is coming back, but we're not going out as a defeated, fearful, weak church. We're going out with a shout of victory in Jesus' name. And we're going to see revival to bring that last great harvest in to the kingdom before Christ comes in Jesus' name. So we were dealing with reasons why we are such an unstoppable force. Amen. And, um, you know, the first one uh, was our authority. Sorry, our righteousness. Secondly, our authority, and lastly, our destiny. And so, before I get into this uh, subject and and you know uh, wind it all up tied together as such, um, l- let me first temper uh, what I'm going to be saying today uh, by saying this. Too many times, destiny is spoken of by believers um, in terms of pride, ambition and selfishness. And that's not actually destiny at all. That's just uh, many times narcissism and pride and and boasting. Uh, But while the man plans his way, it is the Lord who orders his paths. And that's what it says in uh, Psalm 37 verse 23. The paths of the righteous are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Amen. And so, we must therefore approach God and his plan for our lives with humility and gratitude. Okay? Because this is so important and and uh, I'm not talking about false humility. You know, this false humility that says, "Oh, I could never do that. Oh, I could never accomplish that." Of course you can't. But you know, Jesus said, you know, in and of yourself, but Jesus said in the gospel of John, "I am the vine, you are the branches." He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But this is the thing. You're not without him. You are with him. And he is with you and in you. That's what Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Psalm 37 verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. You see, a person doesn't come up with some grandiose plan or idea and then call it destiny. You see, destiny uh, involves heaven's direct intervention in your life and therefore leaves no room for, for pride or, or boasting of personal accomplishment. That you know, there, there are no self-made men and women in the kingdom of God. And so de- when we talk about destiny, destiny is God's plan, not yours. And destiny is always so much bigger uh, than, than you. And, and this is why we could say that destiny um, constitutes heaven's blueprints for your life. And, and yet, sadly, many people never take the time to even read or understand uh, God's blueprint, much less obey it. I mean, how many people are there in the kingdom of God who know that God, oh, I know God is calling me. I know God has a plan for me, but they're resisting it every step of the way. I mean, some people, I believe, literally resist the Holy Spirit every step of the way to eternity. Huh? <laughs> Moving swiftly on. This is why we must never speak of destiny. Unless we walk in humility. Because destiny without humility results in humiliation. Invariably. Because, let me say this, failure is guaranteed to those who walk in pride. I mean, that's why it says in Proverbs 16, verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction and Holy Spirit before a fall. And so that's why when I, I hear Christians may, given all these plans and this and that and the other, and somebody, it's just pride. And it's, it's not humility. Amen? And so the higher you climb, the further you have to fall. Remember, you didn't get to where you are today alone. You had people who helped you along the way. You had a mother who bore you. Amen? You, 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 maybe you had a dad or didn't have a dad who was there for you. But you know what? Even if, even if your parents abandoned you, there was somebody who helped you to come to this point where you are today. And more than anyone else, the Lord who gave you life. And this is why, again, uh, too many times, uh, like I said, we speak of, of, of destiny from the perspective of pride. And, and I think that's, that's sad. And so don't be proud, be grateful. Grateful to God and to those who helped you. But this is the truth. Proud people are never grateful. They feel entitled. And and therefore, they're never grateful. Last week, I quoted Andrew Murray. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. He also said this. Humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. When we enthrone God, it displaces self. And so... If you are not humble, God will know it and he may show it. I know I said that last week, but I think it's important to understand that. Because too many times we speak of destiny from the perspective of pride, arrogance, and ambition. Galatians 2:20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because self dies at the cross. And that's why, as the church, we must stay close to the cross. Jesus said, Take up your cross. And follow me, Christ calls us to lay down our lives at the cross along with our agendas, our ambition, and our pride. And yet this is so opposite to the spirit of this age where greed, materialism, self-promotion, and narcissism is actively encouraged, promoted, and rewarded. I mean, consider the contributions of previous generations. Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Shakespeare, Marie Curie, Newton, Faraday, Edison, Alexander Fleming. Uh, you, you know, the man of, in, in, invented um, penicillin. Uh, Henry Ford, William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King Jr., Steinbeck, Dickens, Jane Austen. I mean, I could, I could quote names all day, but all of these men and women who, who contributed to, to who we are today and, 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 and you know g- gave so much in terms of their talent, what have we got? TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Twerking nurses, screaming blue-haired, nutty feminists, lip-syncing teens... And literally millions and millions of vacuous 10-second videos about nothing. Soundbites. We're the songbite generation. I mean, we don't even have the attention span for, you know, 5 or 10 minutes anymore. Now it's got to be under 10 seconds. We may go down in history as the most stupid generation ever. Future generations may look back on us the way we look back and despise the generation that, that, you know, gave rise to the, that facilitated the rise of the Nazis. Absolutely. Because we are looking at civilization as we know it being dismantled and we're all just so stupid and distracted we're not even watching what is happening right now there is a dumbing down that we're seeing in our society in our culture a deliberate infantilization of humanity and i appreciate not of all of you english is your first language infantilization is making the adult act like a child it's okay for a five-year-old to act like a five-year-old. But we've got our politicians and our leaders, and they're doing dumb TikTok videos on dancing, and that's all we have to contribute. How stupid and gullible are we? This infantilization, reflected in our ent- entertainment—I mean, watching celebrities eating worms and doing stupid things. That's entertainment. Proverbs 15 and 14. The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge. But the mouth of fools feed on foolishness. The new living. A wise person is hungry for knowledge. While the fool feeds on trash. Doesn't that very much describe what we call entertainment today? It's just trash. You know, we're seeing this, this emotional incontinence in people. Where feeling triumphs fact. Where tr- feeling triumphs over fact. And, and biology is no longer based on reality. I am a woman because I feel like one. I'm a freight train because I can, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I feel like whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's stupidity. We're seeing it in our, and let me say, when you got schools teaching things that are biologically incorrect, this, this week my kid in school, you know, uh, watching a video on transgenderism. This stupidity where we're calling a woman a man, and we know absolutely that is, not a, a, that is not a man, you know, or vice versa. I'm not playing along with that game. I refused, and I don't care if this place empties out. I mean, I don't know how many people I've triggered from the various issues that I've dealt with. But you know what? As a pastor, I have a responsibility to proclaim truth. And that is why I can't wa- enter into your mitter, missy world. I can't enter into your delusion and pretend that it's real. We're seeing it where this, even in our government structures, where government becomes God. And, and we who have children no longer have the ability to stop them being forcibly indoctrinated into sexual views and, and, and you know, sexual morals and, and all of these things that we do not agree with and are not consistent with our faith. I have a problem with that. And I have parents from all around the country that have spoken to me about the very same issue. Where we have stepped out of education and we've moved into the realm of indoctrination. And it's dangerous because if you've studied history, you can see where that brings you. You see what Nazi youth did how they indoctrinated the children. In the final days of World War II, the most radical, crazy soldiers they had were these young young men who had been indoctrinated through Hitler youth, where the church, um, you know, the church youth groups had been closed down and all of the kids were forced to be in this and you know all of these young soldiers some of them 12, 13 years of age would fight to the death. They would refuse to surrender. Why? Because they had been brainwashed. Because children are very impressionable. Where the government becomes God that, that, was national, that, that was what went wrong in Germany. They accepted a new religion. The religion was national socialism. Don't believe the lie where they said, "Oh oh, the Nazis were, were, were Christians." No, they were pagans. But they substituted a, a new religion, and it brought destruction on, on the precious people of Germany. Ideas have consequences. And our society right now is in a tangent and it's not going anywhere good. Where the government becomes God, where the government tell you where you can go, what you can do, what you can eat, where you, when you can worship. We're being brainwashed to accept Marxism. I mean, in COVID, you had people, you know, citizens of, of democratic nations asking, can I travel more than two kilometers from my home? Uh, Can I have more than four people in my house? It's your house. You can have as many people as you want. Oh, pastor, please don't go there. We've moved on from that. I haven't. I haven't because I don't want to go back there. And I'm just going to pretend that just didn't happen. I'm not just going to pretend that democratic rights were completely eliminated or undermined in the name of, you know, the greater good, or whatever little euphemism they came up with. Oh, tell me, oh, all great knowing government, what can I do? This concept of the greater good... Or when they talk about our, our collective responsibility. This is classic communism because it's teaching, it's treating uh, us as groups instead of individuals. And that's what Marxism always does. It, it divides society into groups. And they, you know, men against women. Black against white. You know, uh, poor against rich. Uh, you know, I, I even saw a sign on the way to church this morning talking about wealth inequality. You know, and th- th- these are all Marxist concepts. You know, the, 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 this idea that capitalism and fossil fuels are evil. And that farming is, is now dangerous. What do these dummies think we're going to eat if we stop farming? Oh, pastor, you're going to offend people that are... Capitalism is easy. Let me tell you something about capitalism and about, uh, 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 you know, fossil fuels. Look at where our ancestors were before they invented them, before they discovered. Our, our, Our ancestors were serfs. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what country you look at, that's what they were. They were living on land they didn't own, eking out a living you know, using a digging ground with a shovel and trying to use a, maybe a horse and a plow. And they lived in abject poverty. The life expectancy was so much lower than what we have today. They couldn't even dream of that. I mean, and and all of that came true. And I'm not promoting fossil fuel, but I'm just simply saying, we need to have a balanced view of what's happening right now in the world. Did you know that about 10, 15 years ago, two-thirds of the gas that we used in Europe came from Europe? Because we have an abundance of gas, but everybody stopped using it because suddenly it became a sin. Now, it wasn't a sin to import it from Russia. And and it's this crazy ideology that we have embraced i mean this morning i went into the shop and you know what i saw i saw briquettes you you put them into a fire to burn and to keep yourself warm because nobody wants to freeze to death but guess what they were from germany Because it's a sin for us to use the only uh, fuel that we have in this nation. We don't have coal or or, or oil. But you know, we had turf and you could burn that. But suddenly that's banned because it's a sin. And so we don't have Irish briquettes, which were very cheap. But now we're bringing them thousands of miles from Germany because climate change. Sorry, this is really nothing to do with the message. But I just had to get this off my chest. Mass media is causing us to become dangerously open to suggestion, lies, and manipulation. Our generation has stopped reading, and unfortunately, along with it, thinking. Instead, we just scroll and scroll, and we view life through a screen. I mean, the fact that so many young kids aspire to be influencers and celebrities, I believe is an indictment of our flawed and shallow values as a society. Because you look at many of these celebrities, they're famous for being famous. Ask yourself, what did they actually bring to mankind? What was their contribution to our society other than the fact that they have no shame? Martin Luther King Jr., life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? J.C. Ryle, to whom do you live, to yourself or to Christ? What is the great end, aim, object, and ruling motive in your life? To whom do you live, to yourself or to Christ? What is the great end, aim, object, and ruling motive in your life? You see, true destiny, therefore, is always connected with the will of God, not man. And this is why you have men like Isaiah who cried out, Here am I, send me. Or Moses who cried out, Let my people go. Or John Knox in Scotland who cried out, Give me Scotland or I die. Where are the men and women who today are so connected with God's plan and purpose that they do not care about what people think or say about them? They have decided, just like the song, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Glory to Jesus. You see, these men weren't talking of their own Petty plans or ambitions, but God's purpose. There was a purity and a humility to the cry that came forth from their hearts. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil, to give you hope in the future. In fact, I never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be an evangelist like my heroes, Ronald bonkey and Teal Osborne. I wanted to just come into town, blow up, blow out, and move on with my life. But instead, God surrounded me with all these people who have problems, and I'm doing my best. (laughs) I'm doing my best. (laughs) Amos 7.14, I'm not a prophet nor a son of the prophets. That was what Amos said. I was just a a tender of sycamore trees, but he called me to the sheep. And, and, you know, in some ways, uh, it, it speaks a lot to me because... You know, God has plans for you, but the question is, are you following them? Because I was expected to be a car salesman like my dad. And uh, it wasn't my calling. I loved the motor trade, and it was a blessing. But, and I tried to do it, but I just, I just couldn't do it. Uh, there was something on the inside of me. Instead of uh, Each time a customer came in, <laughs> instead of trying to make money off the person, uh, I just wanted to know if they were saved or not. And... <laughs> I felt guilty if I was ever making money off the person. And I, I you know, I, I was just a terrible businessman. I just, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, the book of Ezekiel 33 says, again, the word that Lord came to me saying, son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land, Take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. You can go to a church where you're never going to hear that trumpet. You're not going to hear a trumpet. You're going to hear a lullaby. Every week you're going to go there, and they're just going to put you to sleep. La, 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 you're great, I'm great, everything's fine. When everything is burning around you. <laughs> <laughs> but if the w- But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the people and the, uh, the pe- sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I at the watchman's hand. So you son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them, warn them, warn them for me. I hope you've learned some things through this message, but I believe there's a warning through this message as well. God is warning us right now. We are standing on the precipice. And if we do not pray, things are going to get really crazy really quickly. When I say to the wicked, oh wicked man, you shall surely die and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquities, but his blood, I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. There's a sobriety to this hour. God is looking to rouse the churches. God is looking to rouse the people, to awaken them up. And, and God has called me to speak as a watchman as a shepherd, and I speak to you as such, and I believe it's a sobering responsibility. But you know what? In the midst of all that is happening, I've never been happier. I have a very simple guide and recipe for happiness in life. The happiest people are those who are doing what God has called them to do. The unhappiest people are those who are are not. Ecclesiastes 3.14 I know that the Lord... I know that whatever the Lord does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men uh, should fear before him. You see, eternity is forever. And this is why we must go. Because when God saves, it's forever. And when God judges, it is forever. Heaven and hell stand before every man and every woman. This is why we go. I you know, thank God for Liam and Ranga and Grace and all of the team that go to the street every week. You know, not just on a, on a Saturday, but uh, you know, on a, on a Tuesday to, to minister to the homeless and to feed them, but also to share the gospel with them. This is why we're called. We're called to go because God wants the souls of all men. Matthew 28, Go and all authorities in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore. Sam, 2 and 8, ask me, I will give you the nations. You see, God wants us to go beyond our comfort zone because the nations are our inheritance. And part of our destiny is to connect others to their destiny and their destiny is to be saved and to know God. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay as though he was unable to act and is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is extraordinarily patient towards you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance because while it's clear that not all people will accept him we are all called to know him god has predestined us to know him ephesians chapter uh, 1 and verse 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame Before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And that's the glorious good news of the gospel is that we are accepted. We are accepted through Christ because he predestined us to know him. You see, God wants the souls of all men, even though all men will not answer the call. In eternity, I believe the greatest torment for those who die without Christ will be the knowledge that eternal life was available to them, but they rejected Christ's life and light and love. There's such a thing as too late. When a person takes their final breath, it is too late. When they close their eyes for the final time, it is too late. And what a terrible eternity they will face without him. You see, God wants everybody to know Him. And that's why He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel to every creature. I believe there will be a terrible judgment on some of these ministers who have gone down the route of preaching a a woke Um, gospel, a compromised gospel, a watered down gospel to avoid offending and in order to facilitate the growth of their church because when, you know, numbers become your God, there are things you will not say, there are places you will not go because why would, why would you do something that is counterproductive to your ultimate game of growing the church no matter what? So just keep them happy. Don't offend people. Why would you want people to be offended and walk out? But we must go to the last and to the least. Acts twenty twenty four. But none of these things move me. Neither count my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, Paul the Apostle was not only a man who was driven by eternity, he was driven by destiny. This was his destiny because there's nothing more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than a man or a woman who connects with their destiny. You know, Acts 9 recounts how Paul the Apostle, uh, uh, you know, encountered Jesus. And that's my heart's cry. That's my desire is that, you know, when you come here that you would encounter Jesus. Because Paul, you know, he he knew all the arguments, he knew all the scriptures, he had, you know, a, a, a huge amount of knowledge, he had great intelligence, but you know what, when he encountered Jesus, everything changed. And until he did, nothing changed. We have to see people encounter Jesus when they come to church. So don't sit there all together and, you know, sit, I look good and I feel good. no. Open your heart. God will speak to you today. Amen. I've just gone through the introduction. Okay? I'm just, I just wanted to get the ground ready. Okay? So we're going to hit the ground running in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise God. And don't worry. I've been reading a lot of, of, of uh, Whitfield, his journals. And you know, sometimes he preached for two hours. <laughs> two hours. You know why? The people didn't have phones. And so they didn't have a 10-second attention span. They were able to hear. But reading this, you know, as he went all through parts of England, preaching the gospel, 5,000 here, 10,000 here, at times he spoke to 60,000 people, no amplification. I mean, sometimes he was preaching five, six, seven times a day. I mean, I was just, it's just powerful. It's just really, really blessing my life. But you know what? He encountered Christ. But this is the thing. We serve the same God. We can encounter him today. The same, the same God that Paul encountered. The same God that Wesley and Whitfield and these other men and women encountered through the ages. You can encounter him today if you're hungry. If you're hungry. I believe God's going to restore reverence to the church in Jesus' name. People are not going to be getting up and walking out in the middle of an altar call. That's about somebody's eternity. Can you hold on 10 minutes? Can you, can you just have some reverence for the presence of God? So there are a number of things that determine if you accomplish your destiny. And again, we are unstoppable when we connect with our destiny. And so that's why it's important. So firstly, clarity. Success in life isn't found in doing Uh, you know many things poorly but few things well this is why we need clarity Exodus chapter 33 and we see here probably my favorite chapter in the the Bible but it says so the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb let me say this it's time for the church we're going to be stripped of some of our ornaments some of the things that we are doing just because we did it just because of tradition just because it looks good or sounds good or makes us more acceptable or politically correct to the world (laughs) time to get rid of it like my little boy when he was a kid. He, he, he looked down the toilet after we were training him. He said, bye-bye poo. <laughs> it's time for the church to flush some things. Okay? Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pfft. no, don't, please. I'm only messing. It stripped themselves of their ornaments. The things that made them look good. What is an ornament? An ornament might make you look good, but it's not necessary. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle meeting, which was outside the camp. And so it was. That's why I'm grateful for every one of you who made the effort to come to church today. You know, I was reading this morning, Spurgeon he said, I've stopped counting heads long ago. Truth is never in the majority. But you know, I'm glad you're here because you're hungry. Amen. Glory to Jesus. And you know, some of you are at home in your jammies. You missed it. You missed it because you cannot feel the presence of God when you're among God's people like you can watching a screen. It says those who are hungry. And it says he took his tent and pitched it outside the camp far from the camp. So it took an effort. Like it takes an effort to come to church. And called it the tabernacle meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord uh, went out to the tabernacle meeting, which is outside the camp. And so it was. Whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose. And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses till he had gone into the tabernacle. Came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. It says, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua had such a hunger for God. He decided, you know what? I'm not just going to call. I'm going to live here. The Bible says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Glory to God. You know what? Everybody around you might be losing their mind. And embracing all of this craziness, but you can walk, you can abide, you can dwell in his presence. Everybody in your job might be cursing and mocking God, but you can fear him in Jesus' name. You can walk no matter what anybody else is doing. And this is what Joshua determined. And so the Lord said, See, you say to me, bring on this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you said, I know you by your name, and you found grace in my sight. God knows your name. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may know you. That is the desire of our heart, to know the Lord. And so Paul said, one thing, that I may know him, and it says, and that I may find grace in your sight. Consider this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. This was the heart of Moses. He said, You know what? I want to live here in the searing heat of a desert, in the midst of the snakes and the scorpions and every other thing, and the lack of water, the lack of. I I, I want to just live here if this is where you are. I don't want to live in a palace. I don't want to live, you know, by the beach. I just want to be near you. I don't care where you are, Lord. That's where I want to be clarity and if you can walk away today with that clarity in your heart that you know what i want to serve the lord i want to know him you know moses was probably one of the greatest leaders who ever lived but god led moses far away from the camp and its noise and its activity and its distractions he led him away from its distractions and it was in the quietness that he encountered god Because we can't lead others where we're not willing to go ourselves. You know, I love my home. It's in the countryside. Obviously, we have a mice problem, but. (laughs) Get a cat. I hate cats. They're of the devil. Um, No, I'm only messing. I just don't like them. Um, But you know what? I love it because it's quiet and peaceful. You know, Isaiah 30 verse 15, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You see, some of you never hear God's voice because you never get quiet. Sam, 131, surely I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Do you know those moments when you, you've, you've fed your little baby and, and they're just quiet and they fall asleep on their mom's shoulder? They're just at peace. They're, they're, and, and that's the quietness God wants to bring. You see, for some of you, the voice of God is being drowned out because you have constant TV and radio. You're constantly on your phone. I mean, some of you can't even sit in the service without scrolling on your phone. And I mean that with the greatest respect. You cannot sit through an entire service without scrolling. Because not everybody is looking at a Bible verse. Some people are just so addicted to social media, they have to, during a service, go on it. And that's deeply unhealthy. Amen. Amen. If you can't come to a service without scrolling, I would encourage you to stay at home and scroll in bed. Because this is doing you no good. Amen. 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 You see, when people complain, they can't hear God's voice. Or find clarity in what to do. It's simply an indication that they never spend time waiting on him. You see, a good waiter does one thing. Just one thing. It's not complicated. They are attentive to you. You, you don't have to look around and you're, you're shouting and trying to grab them. A good waiter, you, you know what? You, you, you just turn your head. They're there. How can I help you? We need to wait on the Lord. First uh, Kings 19, 11 And he said, go forth and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Sometimes it's only when we find silence that we find clarity. Go for a walk. Find a beach or a forest or a mountain trail. And just get quiet. Jesus said to close your door in Matthew when he's talking about prayer. And I believe by implication that means turn off your phone, your TV. Learn to get quiet and God will speak to you. That's why some of you, the only time you ever hear the voice of God is when you're sitting on the toilet. It's the only time you get quiet. In fact, some of you insist on bringing your phone even there. Don't be afraid of silence. Because it will bring clarity. And clarity is the opposite of confusion. And unfortunately, this is what some Christians constantly walk in. You know, clamor, confusion, noise, and drama. But you see, it's in prayer and meditation and fasting that we find clarity. Psalm 73, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Their, their, you, you will find clarity only on some issues when you come into God's presence and when you wait upon him. So get back into the habit of reading and reflecting and take time in his book, the Bible. Because our generation is in such a hurry. People are literally such a hurry. They're you know, distracted with phones. They're in a hurry. And we're literally hurrying towards eternity. And it's tragic because so many people are not ready. Brother Andrew said this, I've abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on a habitual, silent and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. You know what he was doing? He was giving God his attention even in the midst of doing his work. Again, Brother Andrew, the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is, every morning, to take great pleasure that God is with you. Brother Lawrence, 1614 to 1691. You see, God's presence cannot be rushed. It has to be practiced. And in order to practice anything, it requires time, perseverance, and effort. So firstly, clarity. Secondly, company. Do you know our movies, our TV, our our music... Are laced with profanity. They take the name of Christ in vain, and yet some of us continue to watch because entertainment has become an idol in our lives. You know I used to love watching action films, but you know what the Lord really convicted me. He said, "You know what? If you claim to be pro-life, how can you be watching movies that are murdering and killing people for entertainment? Because you know, our movies contain violence, profanity, nudity and perversion for a reason. They take the name of Christ in vain, deliberately. It adds nothing to the plot or to the dialogue, but they do it deliberately. Why? Because in many instances, these movies are not only being made by people who fear God, don't fear God, they're made by people who hate God. And they, they hate Him so much, they want to take His name in vain. Many of them, I believe, are sold-out followers of Satan. And, and they know that most people are too lazy to turn it off and they will keep watching you know the bible says that the prodigal when he went to the far country it says nobody gave him anything he was surrounded by the wrong company okay they didn't care for him and you know what uh, they didn't care if he lived or if he died and so uh, some people bring nothing into your life and they're probably going to take nothing when they leave they contribute nothing to you because they're, they're godless people. And so, again, you need to distance yourself from toxic people. Amen. And I'm not talking about your husband, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> J.C. Ryle, nothing perhaps affects man's character more than the company he keeps. So what does the company you keep say about you? Sam 1 and 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits. Can you put your phone on silent, please? Thank you Jesus. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners. But delight delighted in the law of the Lord. You see your companions tell a lot about who you are and where you're going. This doesn't just apply to your opinion your, your companions physically but your companions virtually. I mean if you're listening to secular music you know, and podcasts full full of, you know, bad language, etc. These are the people you're associating with. And so don't be surprised if they start to influence uh, who you are and and how you behave. Because if you're filling your mind with curse words and immorality and sensuality, that is what's going to be manifested in your life. Because there's a spirit behind the music and the media you expose yourself to. Because the beast is in rhythm with heaven or hell. That's why Psalm 119 says... I'm a companion of those who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. You see, your company determines your destiny and your eternity. You know, I went to college in Dublin back 92 to 95. When I left, I, I actually kept the little flash for four months. I kept paying for it because I didn't want to leave. I, I, something kept drawing me back to Dublin. And um, eventually, I, my dad got a crashed car and I asked him for it. And um, I, I got it fixed up, and I was ready for road, and so every Sunday, uh, I'd get up at 6 o'clock, uh, I'd get up at 5 and leave by half 5, 6, and I was on the road to Dublin and come to church, and um, a lot of people didn't understand why, um, but I was hungry for God, and there was, a, there was a move of the Spirit at that time in the church uh, in Dublin, and um, uh, and you know, b- back then I was literally spending everything I had between paying for fuel and uh, food and an offering and that was it. And I remember at times the devil telling me, you're crazy, you're foolish because, um, you know, I was single, uh, I, I, was, I was lonely. And um, on, on Saturday nights at times I was tempted, you know, go into the nightclub and meet some nice girl locally and your life would be far simpler. Uh, but you know, I was, I was thirsty for something you couldn't pour into a, a shot glass. I I I was looking for something you couldn't find in a nightclub. And that was the presence of God. And so, um, you know, that's what I did for many, many years. And and, and, and Because I was a companion of those who fear God. Because let me say this, you, you cannot do this Christian walk alone. You need to be part of a body. You need to be planted somewhere. You need to be surrounded. You know, last night we had such a wonderful night with all of the singles in, in, in complete. And, you know, Eamon and Martha doing such a great job. But it was, I, I said to Joanna this morning, that was such a beautiful group of, of, of people. And, 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 you know, you need to be encouraged. You need to be surrounded by people who encourage you. And uh, so at the time, I lost all my friends. You know, my family thought I was nuts. And, uh, but you know what? God blessed me. And God blessed me with a wonderful wife. You know, my sweet Joanna. <laughs> Let me say this to those of you who are single. The right woman, the right man is worth waiting for. Second Corinthians, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. If you want to be blessed, you need to marry God's best. Okay? And so, again, uh, 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 Proverbs 18 and verse 22. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. You see, you should enjoy your wife's company. You should treasure her because she is a treasure. I'll say this: I will not marry a couple if I'm not convinced that the man treasures uh, the woman he is uh, purporting to marry. If he acts like he can take her or leave her, I'm not going to touch that with a barge pole. I'm sorry, you may be offended. Deal with it. I'm not getting involved. If I'm not convinced that that man feels like he's the most blessed man in the world to be sitting next to that woman. You know, all of these stupid games people play today because of, you know, the whole dating game and, you know, swiping left and right and how to get a woman to do whatever you want or get a man. That is so idiotic and so contrary to the concept of covenant. If he acts like he can take you or leave you, you need to look for the exit and quick because marriage is not going to change him. If he's stingy now, he will be stingy later. If his biggest concern before marriage is, oh, marriage is so expensive, well, so are diamonds. So is gold. And that is what you are as a woman of God. And so if he's looking at the price tag, you need to look at the door. Let me read this quote. Regarding marriage, I'm just going to finish the message. So if you need to leave, leave. But I'm going to finish it. need another 10, 10, 15 minutes maybe. I'm going to finish it. Is that okay? Say, thank you, pastor. I still love you. Amen. I understand we're moving into a new dispensation a new realm and I'm hungry, I'm ready to move okay, thank you Jesus I'm going to finish this if I don't my wife will kill me <laughs> come in next week say we need to find a new pastor <laughs> trying to just kill John um, anyway, I'm, I'm only messing, I'm being facetious Let me read this quote, regarding marriage, first he must choose his love, and then he must love his choice. Henry Smith, 1560 to 1591, Henry Smith was known as the golden-tongued preacher from London. And I think that is probably the greatest quote I've ever read in my life. First, he must choose his love, and then he must love his choice. Make your choice and don't back out of it. What this minister was saying is that in reality, it's not really a choice who you marry, for it's already been planned by your Father in heaven. But the question is, will it be God's choice or yours? You might very quickly discover after you get married. But either way, once you choose your love, you must love your choice until death do you part. Make it work, even if you're not feeling it at the moment. You make it work because covenant, it's a, sacred, it's a sacred union. Choose your love, then love your choice. Because a wife is for life. Just as love is a choice, not a feeling. There are many Christians today who claim to love God, but in reality they don't fear God. And if you don't fear the Lord, ultimately you don't love the Lord. Because Jesus said in John 15, 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you don't keep the commandments of Christ, it's simply because you don't love Christ or at least you don't love him enough to forsake your sin. You see, our obedience testifies to our allegiance. Our disobedience undermines our witness and grieves the heart of God. So are you walking in the light of God's word and are you keeping close company with those who do? Psalm 119.63, I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. You know, I'm, I'm struck by reading the, the journals of Wesley and Whitfield, by the amount of times they talk about how after a long day of preaching numerous times to thousands of people, they would, they would go off and spend time with friends in fellowship and prayer and, and talking about the things of God. Both of them reveal the same thing. These men were powerfully used by God, and they accomplished great things for the kingdom, but... They didn't get there alone. They needed the right company. You know, the Bible says Daniel eight. Daniel and his friends determined not to defile themselves with the king's meat. It wasn't just Daniel. It was his companions. Because who you travel with will greatly determine whether you ever make your destination. Amen. You need the right company. Who you travel with will determine whether you get there because your company will lift you up or it will drag you down. You know, Genesis 2, 18, it's not good that a man should be alone. This doesn't just apply to marriage because we weren't designed to do our Christian walk alone. Amen? And so, as a man or a woman, you need accountability, encouragement, and friendship. That's why you need to be a member of a local church. Join a life group. We've got many great life groups and life group leaders Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of their God. Are you keeping company with those who are planted? So give me five minutes and I'm finished. Keys to fulfilling your destiny. Clarity, company, and lastly, commitment. If you want to know how committed God is to you, simply look at the cross. For God so loved the world. The cross testifies to the value that God places upon our eternal soul. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the Bible says. You see, God is committed to you. If you want to know how much you are worth, ask the Lord, say, Lord, you, you know, how much am I worth? He will say this much. He still carries the holes in his hands and his feet as a testament to the, to the value that God places on your soul. You know, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, here Paul the apostle is talking And he said, um, uh, verse 17, uh, I am appointed to the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always. So now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul was committed. Paul was absolutely committed to the gospel. Amen. And so neither life nor death would stop him. Contrast Paul with Judas. You see, Judas was called, but he wasn't committed. Jesus called Judas just like he called Matthew, and Peter, and, 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 and John. Judas was called, but he wasn't committed. He wasn't committed to Christ, or to his cause. He was always looking at things through the lens of gain. Of, of pounds and pence. Dollars and cents. He looked at things through the lens of gain, not God's glory. He wanted to serve God on his own terms, or not at all. And sadly, this describes the way many believers live. Judas was more interested in what he could get from Christ rather than what he could give. And therefore, because he wasn't sold out to Christ, ultimately he ended up selling out Christ. Because ultimately you will reject and abuse what you do not value or love. Matthew 13 and 44. Again, the kingdom of God is like treasure in a field which a man found. He went... And with joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he has found one of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of God is the pearl of great price. Amen. Christ gave his all for us. We must give our all for him. And we need to get back to preaching that. We need to stop presenting the gospel like it's some sort of a, a, a business opportunity or it's a, you, you, you know, something you just sign up for. No, Jesus gave his life for you but then he demands you give your life for him. He said, take up your cross and follow me. We need to stop playing games. We need to live for Jesus or walk away. Commitment makes all the difference. Because there are those who could have been saved, who would have been blessed, who could have been promoted, who ought to have been married, who who, would have, who who should have been happy, who could have accomplished great things, but they didn't because they lacked commitment. And so when the going got tough, just as it always does, they quit and walked away. You know, Acts 24, 25, when I have a convenient season, I will call for you, Felix said, when, when Paul preached about righteousness and, 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 and the judgment to come. I think it's interesting that, that Paul, you know, didn't uh, give him a sales pitch for your best life now. In verse 25, now is reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. This is a man who is shaken but not stirred. You know, as a pastor, I will say this. I will work with people wherever they're at. They may be lacking skill. They may be lacking, you know, uh, knowledge, education, charisma. But one thing I can't deal with is lack of commitment. You see, God gave his best and we must give ours. You know, as this man discovered in eternity, God doesn't work according to our timetables, nor does he cater to our demands. He said, when it's convenient to me, that's not how you come to God. He is the potter and we are the clay. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. And he expects us to give our best for him, for his work. And that's why we encourage you, like I said, to pray, to witness, to to worship, to tithe, to serve. Amen? God wants us because freely we have received, freely we are to give. You know, we must allow God the freedom to work in us and on us. And we must be committed to the process no matter how painful. Jesus spoke about the narrow way. He spoke about the narrow gate and the difficult way that leads to life. You know, Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart. And so we mustn't be half-hearted in serving God. Rather, we must give our best. And so as the worship group come forward, you know, going to the gym once a month says a lot about what kind of physical shape you're in. In the same way, coming to church once a month, it really signifies the very same thing. You are out of shape spiritually. You can't get in shape if you go to the gym once a month. You can't get into shape if you turn up here once or once or twice. You know what? You need to be determined. I'm going to get there in Jesus' name. And you know what? The devil will always give you a reason not to go. Okay? He'll always give you something that will happen, something that will throw you off. Or you're tired or you're this or you're that or the other. No, you must be determined. You know what? I'm going to serve you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Because there is a process whereby God prepares us for what he has prepared for us. Malachi 3 in verse 2. For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. Or like a strong seal that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. Let me say this. Just like every refining process, it will be painful. It's painful to allow the Lord work in your heart. It is painful at times to be planted. And that's why so many people just get up and leave. You see, the devil will give you opportunities to be offended, but you must be committed. If you want to bear fruit, and if you want to fulfill your destiny, then you must determine. Just, uh, just like a tree, it's ridiculous to think that a tree can bring forth fruit if it's here one week and somewhere else the next. It's the same way with believers. You need to get planted somewhere where you're going to be by the rivers of living water and where you're going to feed on the bread of life. So I want you to stand to your feet today. Thank you, Jesus. Be committed. You know, so many people are like the rich young ruler. He looked at the price tag and then he walked away. How many people, you know, say, Lord, I want you to use me, but then God shows you the price tag. You're going to have to surrender that porn. You're going to have to drop that unforgiveness. You're going to have to stop gossiping. You're going to have to stop leading a, a double life. You see, people have romantic ideas of what it is, you know, what it is to serve the Lord. But you know what? It's painful. It's painful. You can have your destiny, but you're going to have to die. That's what Paul said. I'm crucified with Christ. We're going to see revival in this nation in Jesus' name. I know it. I know it. But you know what? We're going to have to be committed. You're going to have to be committed. You can see your family come to Christ, but you're going to have to be committed. We can see our generation delivered from the confusion of our times, but we are going to have to be committed. You know why the LGBT community, plus Q, whatever letters you want to throw in there, why they have so much influence? They were committed. I was back there in the 80s when they would march in the streets and people would be mocking them. You know why the, green, the Greens have so much influence even though so much of what they believe is not rooted in science or logic or rationality? They're committed. They're so committed they're willing to go into art galleries and, and throw tomato soup at, at works of art. They're so committed they're willing to glue themselves to the road. They're willing to, to stand in, uh, you know, uh, on these, these girders above m- huge motorways. They're willing to block people and inconvenience people. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm just simply trying to help you to understand that if we want to see revival, if we want to see our generation come to Christ, we are going to have to stop being so half-hearted and so lukewarm. My son, give me your heart. That is all God is asking for you today. He's just asking for you to, to give your heart to him. Just as he gave his life for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed for one moment, I want to ask you this question. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because there is an urgency to this hour. You have this opportunity. You do not know if you will have another. You have now. You can respond now.